Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. If you turn with me to that passage, the next page, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Follow along as I read this this morning. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for your word to us. These words from Ephesians strengthen our heart. They encourage us. They help us to see more clearly that you are always at work in us. By the strength of your Spirit, you are constantly doing your work, perfecting us, making us more like Christ. Lord, I pray this morning you would be with Pastor Andrew as he speaks to us. May it reach our hearts today. May it infuse life within us today by the working of your Spirit today. We thank you for all this now as we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. Welcome. It's, uh, we got to deal with the winter weather a little bit earlier, maybe than we anticipated. Um, just a reminder, we always try to make a call at, by 6.30 on Sunday morning. You know, you wish that it would declare itself a little bit earlier rather than going to bed wondering these types of things, but it doesn't always work that way. We'll send out a text uh, through the Breeze app if there is a change, uh, but if you don't receive anything or you don't see anything on anything else, uh, you can assume that it will go forward. Always, you know, we trust you to make good decisions with your safety. Even if you have to volunteer, we'll figure it out. If you can't get here, uh, we totally understand, uh, but we'll make our way together on these things. Well, here we are, our last look at Ephesians. Uh, we're at chapter 3, and we're really focusing just on the last two verses, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Uh, we're coming to the end of Paul's long introduction, as it were, uh, to this letter. It's really interesting, you know, Paul is writing a letter, probably a circular letter to all of the different churches of that time, and he doesn't really focus on what to do. Uh, he's really focused on what is true. 
And, and he spends so much time building that up, uh, filling his own heart and soul, filling his own uh, head and, and the heads of his, his folks with all of these truths about who God is. If you read my Friday letter this week, you, you know that I've been a little bit fascinated uh, with the FTX crash. Uh, SBF, there's all sorts of letters that we can put together with these types of things. I don't know what it is that has fascinated me about this. I'm not really a financial guy, uh, and maybe that's part of it. I just don't understand the whole cryptocurrency world. I don't understand billions of dollars, uh, all of these things. I don't understand how... Um, you know, smart people, otherwise smart people can get caught up in some of these. You know, with the FTX, there were some really reputable institutions uh, that were invested in this, and, uh, and now it just seems like it's a, it was a house of cards, uh, maybe fraudulent completely through and through from the get-go. I don't know. Uh, I was talking with Dan Churchwell, who, of course, uh, spends his daytime thinking about a lot of these things and uh, just processing through it. He says, uh, Theranos, WeWork, FTX, they're just uh, a, a lot, you know, one in a long line of these scandals. We've, of course, had Enron, WorldCom, others. Uh, many of these companies focus on Messiah-like figures and really fuzzy moral language uh, about changing the world. And, of course, you, you know this is true uh, with, with this and all of these. So we get caught up into that because we, we see power. Uh, we see uh, a desire to, to change the world. And we hope that if, if these folks can do it, you know, with their positions of authority and influence, uh, with their money, we think if, if anybody can change the world through effective altruism or whatever it might be, uh, it, it's these folks. And then when the crash happens, we're, we're left back at, well, now who do we look to? But of course, the scriptures come to us and paint a different story, and it, maybe that was part of my fascination this week, was just the juxtaposition of now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. Uh, more so than any of the world's powers, any, more so than any of the world's financiers, more so than any of the world's philanthropists, our God is able to do far more than we could ever ask or think. So I want to dive into this this morning and just notice several things about this passage. First of all, notice how Paul, as he comes to the end of this section, breaks out into what is inevitably a doxology. Paul's writings are, are filled with this, where he just sort of goes off into praise. We read one of them this morning, Romans chapter 8. We see it in Romans chapter 7. Many of you know that Paul wrote via an amanuensis, which is like a, a secretary who recorded uh, what Paul was saying. And, and so Paul was speaking. In fact, there is a theory that Paul's letters are actually more sermons. Uh, they, they reflect a rhetorical model uh, more so than they even do an epistolatory model. So, so Paul is speaking this letter to his secretary, and he just gets caught up 
in this. And, and he, he starts praising God, not to him who is able uh, to do far more than we ever could ask or to think. Uh, we, we recognize throughout this that Paul has been talking about a God who is uh, above all. Uh, he has power. He has this inheritance of riches. Uh, he has raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Paul's first prayer at the end of chapter 1 captures the, the to-him aspect of it. This is the God who, who Paul praises. It's the God who brought him from death to life. It is the God who now is working this power in the unity of the church. This is the God that Paul praises. And then, like I said, it, this praise is the necessary outflow. Uh, doxology, titled the sermon, uh, a, a Hymn to Him. Uh, to Him, a hymn. However you want to put it together in your, your thought. But this is what, what Paul leads to. It's this sense of doxology. And I was thinking about that in my own life this week. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, this week was a struggle for I, I don't really know what reason. I didn't feel particularly praiseworthy. I, it wasn't just on the, the tips, uh, tip of my tongue. Maybe some of you had similar weeks or maybe you can relate. You've had weeks like that in the past. I was thinking like, how do we how do we generate the kind of praise that we know God is worthy of, we know that He deserves? I think part of the answer is the structure of Ephesians. You know, we, we go back to a place like Ephesians 1, and, and we go through and we recite the attributes of God. We recite the things that we know to be true. And based on that, uh, we then... Uh, can our hearts are invited to join in the praise of the universe in order to praise God. Sometimes it'll come easy, sometimes it will be hard fought, uh, but we see the pattern here. When we really understand who God is, we then also have this sense of praise. I think one of the things that we really want to focus on here this morning, though, is this incredulity of bold intercession. So here Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. Paul starts tripping all over himself linguistically here in this passage. Uh, two times he just starts piling uh, superlative upon superlative. So he even makes up a word here uh, far more abundantly, hooper ek perismo. Uh, he, he piles together these different Greek prefixes and he, he's trying to say, you know, far more abundantly. It's, it's more, more, more. Uh, hyper abundantly, basically, is what Paul is saying here. And this is, uh, this is what he is saying about the, the ability and the heart of God. You know, we come to one who is both a father... Uh, as Jesus taught us to pray, who is in heaven, the seat of power. This is exactly what Paul has been telling us throughout Ephesians. We come to one who is a father, 
who has uh, predestined us in love to be part of his family, and he is powerful. He is seated uh, in uh, a place of authority and rule, and he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Uh, some of you maybe saw the little piece from John Newton that uh, I included in the Friday letter, Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. It's not like a suit of clothes, but your petition, uh, your lawsuit, the, the plea that you would bring before a court. You know, Jesus longs to answer prayer. You are coming to a king, large petitions with you bring for his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that we have such a king that we can never go before him with something that is too big for him to handle. It's uh, thinking about ask or think. You know, like we saw before, Paul isn't just necessarily using words here that are the same thing, just said in two different ways. I think he's highlighting, you know, some of the ways in which we stop going before the Lord. You know, sometimes we, we don't bring things before the Lord because of our uh, ability to ask. You know, what is it that... Uh, impinges or stops our, our ability to ask. Well, sometimes it's just that we're simply too busy. We've got too many things going on, and, and we can't stop to ask for help. Uh, sometimes we think that we shouldn't be asking for help. We should just do it. We should just work harder, try more, you know, get further along, like this shows weakness and I, and I really shouldn't be asking. Sometimes we have this fear, like what if I ask God for something and he doesn't come through? Like what will that, what will that mean for how I think about him? What will that mean for my relationship with him? More on that in a moment. You know, we also sometimes don't ask because we're filled with shame. We know that we're not, we're not deserving. We know that before God we have done, said, thought. I mean, we just, we, we feel like we, we don't deserve to come before him. And, and so Paul recognizes that. He says, God is able and, and your father is willing to do more than you can ask or more that you can imagine. Uh, you can think. Uh, the word here is think, and that's probably a good translation for, for the Greek. Some of you know that the NIV will translate it imagine. I think that does capture uh, the, the sense of it. You know, more than we could possibly conceive, you know, there is a concession here to our finitude. Like, we don't necessarily know what it is that we need to ask for, or we can't really think of or conceive or imagine how God could work in these things. So we come with a request uh, that is one thing, but God intends to, to bless us or God intends to work His will in a way that we never could have asked uh, or never could have even thought of or conceived of. Uh, but what Paul is saying here 
is that we have a God who is high and who is glorious, and we have a Father who is able and who is willing to hear our prayers. And He is going to work in us according to the power that is at work in Him to the glory of Christ Jesus and the church. Now, that last part is sort of the determining factor because some of us say, well, I can ask or imagine a lot of really great things. <laughs> uh, I can ask or imagine, you know, things that w would make me or I think would make me very happy. Uh, maybe it's a, a new bike or a new car or uh, just the right person to come into my life or uh, all of these different things. We, we think we... We, we know what we want, and we think we know what would make us happy. But Paul says we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us and according to the glory of Christ and the glory of the church. And, and this is the matrix in which uh, God sees and is answering these things. And this is the matrix of goodness and delight. I mean, the glory of God, the glory of the church, these are the things that are ultimately going to bring us happiness. And, and when we recognize that we come before our King and we make our petitions, uh, we recognize that He is going to uh, work them in ways beyond which we could ever ask or imagine, in ways that are going to meet us and bring Him glory. And this is part of what we have to submit ourselves to as we, as we bring our requests before the Lord. I know that part of that fear sometimes is that God's not going to answer me exactly like I like, you know, with regards to this illness or with regards to this relational situation uh, or with regards to all of these different things. But part of it is that God sees on a plane that is so much more nuanced and so much more comprehensive than we could ever see or could ever understand. I think that's why Paul brings into mind here the idea of eternity, uh, the interminate reality of eternity, this eternity that goes on and on throughout all generations forever and forever. Amen. This is another one of those pileups where Paul is just uh, putting these concepts together, talking about the, the magnitude of eternity and what it means in terms of answering, answering these, these requests or, or meeting us in terms of our needs. Oftentimes, we get so... Uh, focused on our present situation, uh, what it is that, that has, has got us bottled up, what it is that has us wrapped around the axle. And our, our prayers are, are focused on that present situation. But one of the things that Paul helps us to remember here is that God isn't so bound. God God exists from before ages to whenever ages. Uh, he, he exists throughout all time and throughout all eternity. And therefore, He has the freedom to be unencumbered by our present situation. 
A.W. Tozer puts it this way. He says, how completely satisfying it is to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. Eternal years lie in his heart. For him, time does not pass. It simply remains. And those who are in Christ share with him all the riches, riches of limitless time and endless years. God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which he must work. Only to know this is to quiet our spirits and relax our nerves. For those outside of Christ, time is a devouring beast. But before the sons of the new creation, time crouches and purrs and licks their hands. The foe of the old human race becomes the friend of the new. And the stars in their courses fight for the man that God delights to honor. You know, Paul has grasped this. He says, God, you, you are. You are before all ages, throughout all generations, forever and forever. And so this thing that has got me so bound up in the here and now, there is time, there is patience, there is wisdom, there is power, there is glory uh, with you. Johnny Erickson Tata, who has given us so many wise things, she says in this vein, she says, it's odd that it took a wheelchair you know her story, I'm trusting most of you, uh, paralyzed at, at a young age, uh, continues on, struggling in and out with, with her health, but uh, praising the Lord and, and pointing to him. She says, it's odd that it took a wheelchair, something that bolts me to the earth, to make me see the futility of, spiting, of fighting spiritual battles on an earthly plane. When I attempted to live on the same low level as my bolts, gears, wheels, and leather, I made blunder after blunder. I was powerless there until I shifted to a higher battleground and chose a different perspective. And that's what Paul is encouraging us through, uh, to do here. Say, remember, you've been made alive through Christ, this one who, who went to a cross, a seemingly ignominious defeat, uh, a seeming crushing blow from the enemy. But that cross was glory. Uh, and, and he was raised and now is seated at the highest place above all principalities and powers. And when we can learn to see things from his perspective, when we can learn to see things through his prism, we recognize that we can come before him beyond what we could ask or think and know that he has the power and he has the plan that is working things out for our good and for his glory. These are amazing truths. I know that they are difficult uh, in some senses because we, we, we so easily give our affection to things that we can see. We so easily trust in the cryptocurrencies of the world. But what Paul is saying is they are fool's gold. Whatever your particular cryptocurrency might be, uh, the real deal, the real deal to him, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or imagine. 
my prayer for all of us is that the Holy Spirit would invite us up into this hymn to him and it would become uh, the prayer of our hearts. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its truth, its power. We thank you for the way that it penetrates us. Uh, it both lays us bare, but also invites us in. Lord, we pray that we would respond not with, uh, not with our own uh, power and might, but rather with a laying down of our power and might, surrendering to, to your grace and to your glory. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.